You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, author of Working Like Dogs, and my co-host is my service dog, Whistle. And Whistle and I are thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, our special guest is veterinarian Dr. Jeff Nickel. And Dr. Nickel began his education at Michigan State University, and he currently practices in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Dr. Nickel specializes in pet behavior, and he's the author of three books, Is My Dog Okay? Is My Cat Okay? and A Lifetime Guide to Practical Pet Care. And Dr. Nichols' pet care column has been a popular weekly feature of the Albuquerque Journal since 1996. So we're really excited to have Dr. Nickel on the show today. So come right back after these words from our sponsors and join us as we visit with Dr. Jeff Nickel. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Be sure to tune in when Pet Life Radio goes live from Global Pet Expo, the world's largest annual pet products trade show. March 25th through the 27th, you can catch all the new products coming out for our pets before they even hit store shelves. From the latest in all-natural and eco-friendly products to the most elegant in pet pampering and high-tech innovations from companies all over the globe. It's at Global Pet Expo. Nearly 800 companies will be displaying new and exciting products to make time with our pets even better. Tune in March 25th through the 27th for everything Global Pet Expo. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Pet Life Radio proudly presents DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. Get ready to unleash the dog sports enthusiast in all of us. From speed drawing and mushing to racing, agility, and competition. This is the place to learn all about the dog sports and activities that you can do with your furry best friend and canine competitor. So get ready for game time. DSPN with your host, Lori Williams. Every week, on demand. 
only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Jeff Nickel. Good morning. Excellent to be here. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. We're so excited that you could be with us today because we know how busy you are with your practice and your column and all of the things that you do for pet behavior and for animals. So we're so thrilled you could be with us and talk about some of your experiences and share some of your wisdom with our listeners today. Well, I hope I may be able to help people solve a few problems. I'm ready to answer any questions that you have. Great. Well, you know, Dr. Nickel, we're talking about working dogs, and working dogs are so different from the normal pets, you know, and, and there are a lot of, of different things that these dogs encounter, and they're so highly trained, and yet as they age or as they have some kind of experience out in public or through some natural occurrence or natural disaster, even working dogs can develop some behavioral issues. And I was wondering, what are some of the most common behavioral issues that you've witnessed over your career with working dogs in particular, such as service dogs or assistance dogs, police dogs, search and rescue? Tell us, what have you seen? Well, you know, I think that's a very important question. And, you know, the average dog is, as you put it, is a pet. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have an easy life because when we think about what a dog is, they are certainly been domesticated to live with humans and to fit into our families and our lives. And well, there's no better example than a service dog for that kind of thing. But, you know, they live pretty intense lives, as you mentioned. They, they get a lot of training and there's a lot of expectation. And they have to remain focused and they have to be pretty serious about their work. And you look at their needs and sometimes it's easy to forget that their needs are a little different than ours in some respects. As I always like to put it, they're, they're certainly a great deal like us, but that does not make them little people in furry suits. They're a different species, and some of their social needs are, are some of the most important to get met. I mean, I'm sure that everybody with a service dog has been lectured pretty heavily on how important it is for their dog to get routine exercise. And, and you know, we think about that in terms of the physical benefits of it, which that's certainly the case. But with dogs, it goes far beyond that. Not only... Are they similar to us in the way that there is a mind-body connection between getting plenty of regular strenuous exercise for a dog and being calm and more well-adjusted? But we also know that for dogs, at least the way their little brains work, that means socialization with other dogs. And that isn't always easy to do, especially with people who have service dogs or even police dogs for that matter because you know these dogs are expected to be working full-time. And so, um, but you know, let me, let me just talk briefly about the social requirements of dogs so people understand how they are very different than we are in some respects. Uh, have I got a few minutes to do that? Yes, please. And I think that that is the perfect place to start because as you've touched on several things with the socialization of service dogs, I have to tell you a little bit of Whistle's dirty laundry, which I'm sure he would not want me to tell you, but Whistle actually, he has a digging issue. 
And uh, even though even though he's with me and he and I are running around all day and he is, is with other people, other animals, he gets a lot of exercise, he still comes home and will do this excessive digging. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that and about the whole socialization issues for working dogs. So please go ahead. Okay, excellent. Let me lay a little groundwork here. And then we'll talk about whistling that digging thing. And it's actually an easier problem to manage than many people are going to realize. Nonetheless, dogs have, are much higher in their needs for socialization than we are. In fact, we humans are a mighty social species when we're compared to other creatures on the planet. And dogs are much more so than we are. And the average dog needs to do the best he can to carry out what is normal instinctive behavior for a canine. And... You know, it kind of harkens to the mistakes some people make when they house train a dog. For example, they get a puppy, and they'll take that little rascal outside on a leash, for example, and as soon as he goes, they say, oh, good puppy, and they throw a little party, and then they take the puppy back in the house. Well, the problem with it is that dogs, the way they're built in terms of their social model is that they live among other dogs in the wild, and they have a leader, and they have a territory, and they have a little denning area, and few times a day, like everybody else, they need to urinate or have a bowel movement, and they typically do it at the perimeter of their territory. So they go out to the area that boundaries the territory, if you will, and they'll do their business. And then, instinctively, they need to take a little hike into the wide, wide world beyond to go exploring and sniffing around, just like dogs do when you take them on a leash, and they all have their nose on the ground, and they're sniffing and checking things out, and it can be kind of annoying when you're trying to go on a walk. But the reality is, that when they're outside the territory, which again they do every time they eliminate it, the perimeter of their pack area, is that they investigate and they are not accountable to a leader outside of the territory naturally. And when they run into other dogs, they have a greeting ritual. They do a little rear end sniffing and a little competitive urinating and some posturing and maybe some chest thumping and they work out a little relationship and they move on. And then finally, when they're done with that, with that uh, exercise, they come back home again. And when they're back in the territory, again, they are accountable to their leader and they follow a different set of rules. So, for example, when people house train puppies, what they really ought to be doing is giving that puppy the reward that he naturally believes he ought to have. And that is that as soon as he goes, then he gets a little jaunt in the wide, wide world. Now, of course, that has to be on leash in most cases. So that's one important thing about what they need. So when people have their dogs, for example... They have to really recognize that that is a daily requirement that dogs have. And and certainly if that walk has to be on leash, then so be it. But of course, that's why there are dog parks too. If dog, and not every dog belongs in a dog park, but those that know how to get along with their friends are good for um, going out there and, and having that social contact in a safe and closed area where they don't have to all the time be following orders. And that's an important part of what they need to do. The problem that we see with dogs who don't get that, and frankly, there are lots of them who don't get it and don't seem to have trouble, but there are some where it is an essential daily need. And if they don't get that daily need met, some of them develop abnormal behaviors. And it's because they didn't get that daily social contact with other dogs outside their territory. So, for example, if, if a Whistle is a dog who gets to hang out with other dogs on a daily basis, then you're probably getting it done just right. But a lot of the listeners need to realize that if they're at home a great deal of the time, and, and I think some of the folks with service dogs are pretty much homebound, aren't they? 
Well, yes and no. You know, a lot of it depends on their different abilities. But right. most of the service dogs I know are pretty active and out in the public. But okay, I good. guess, it, yeah, it just varies on the individual. Okay, fair enough. But if, if these dogs don't get that kind of social contact outside the, the yard, kind of an, an ability to roam in some fashion and run around and, and exercise, they can develop what we call displacement behaviors. Now, a displacement behavior is something that a dog starts to do because they can't carry out what for them is an essential need. Some displacement behaviors get so bad that they become literally compulsive. Behaviors where, like circling, tail chasing, sky gazing, fly snapping, sometimes compulsive self-mutilation like licking a front leg, things like that. And very often, if we trace back the causes, it's because they are missing an essential social need. And that is probably even more important with these service dogs because they're not couch potatoes. They're serious and they're intense and they're working and there are expectations of them. And boy, they need that release more than the average pet dog. Now, you know, back to digging, that is some, a behavior that in some dogs is, it can become a displacement behavior. They do it excessively because, you know, they don't have necessarily a well-rounded life. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going on with whistle because very often, Frankly, it's a normal behavior. And people sometimes, <laughs> you know, you look in there at books by dog trainers, for example, that talk about ways of punishing dogs for digging. And shoot, you know, it's, it's a normal behavior. And it's one of those things where people whose dogs dig, whether they're service dogs or whatever, they simply need to be given a legitimate legal place to dig in the yard. And a simple method of doing that is to pick a spot on the north side of the house because that's where the sun doesn't generally have much of any exposure. And if you live here in New Mexico, like in the desert, the sun gets so darn hot and intense on most of the areas that it bakes the ground like almost rock hard. But on the north side of the house, you don't get that direct sun exposure, and people can build like a, well, like a sandbox using like one by ten lumber, and they sink it into the ground so that the, the boards protrude above the ground maybe a couple inches, and then they can take that ground, that earth in that enclosed area, and break it up, loosen it up with a hoe or a spade the way you might a garden, and then mist it with a little bit of water. So not you don't make it a bog, but you make it kind of soft and, and easy to dig. And then you can really cause the dog to want to dig in this special place that's a lot easier to dig in than any other part of the yard, so it ought to be attractive. And you can make it easy to dig in by uh, sometimes burying a few little treasures, like a couple of little rawhide toys or a food toy or something like that, a couple inches below the surface. So the dog learns that, boy, this is the greatest place in the world to dig. I love digging here. And gives up digging other places so that you can maintain decent landscaping. And this is the dog's very own special digging place. I think that's a great idea, and you know, we've sort of done that, but I love the idea of hiding a couple of little toys. I haven't done that, but you know, it's interesting because I was worried that it was some kind of social deficiency that Whistle was having, but I think you're right. I think he just enjoys digging. It's fun for him because it, he does it when he's so excited that he's wanting to play really hard, and mm -hmm. so, and it's almost like he's trying to get me to come dig with him 
right. <laughs> because he's having so much fun. But I, I think those are great points, and I, I think that's really going to help a lot of our listeners that are having some of those same issues. Well, we are going to take a quick message from our sponsors, and we're going to come right back and continue talking with Dr. Nickel. And I've got some other questions for you that our listeners have sent in that they want to ask about their working dogs. So please listen to these important messages and come right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. This valuable information comes from your pet. There's nothing like a wagging tail or friendly paw to lift your mood. They're therapeutic and make us feel good. Studies show pets even reduce stress, prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and fight depression. So there you have it. Pets are a daily dose of good health and happiness. Pets add life. To learn more, visit petsaddlife.org. How many pets is too many? Do you know somebody whose life is overwhelmed by their animals? Maybe we can help. We're looking for people to be in a new TV series about really large animal families. We can offer expert help, free resources, and the chance to tell their story. If you or someone you know owns a house full of animals, call us toll-free at 1-877-MY-8PETS. That's 1-877-MY-8PETS. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Hello! I'm Deborah Wolf, and I'm inviting you to my animal party on Pet Life Radio. The dress code? Come as you are. Pajamas, a tux, you can even go naked like your pets. Unleash your party animal at my animal party. Guests you know from Animal Planet, TV, radio, the news, and bookstores will be joining me. And that's because after I won Best Pet Radio in America from the DWAA, I got my paw in the door and I met a lot of amazing people. And the best of the best are going to be coming to the party. They're coming to party with us. So join us at the animal party. Don't miss the party. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And today we're talking with our guest, Dr. Jeff Nickel. 
And Dr. Nickel is answering all of our questions about specific behaviors we've seen in our service dogs and our working dogs. And we are talking about the different things with digging and other issues. And one question that some of our listeners have, um, several questions that listeners have asked, is about their retired working dogs. You know, because as we said, these dogs are so highly trained. They're so focused on their job. But after they retire, some of our listeners have said they've witnessed separation anxiety or their dogs have started with unruly barking. What do you think about that, Dr. Nickel? How can we respond to our dogs and give them what they need and help them with those issues? These are really important questions. Let me ask you, Marcy, do you, are these um, dogs, when they're retired, do they go with new owners or do they sometimes stay with their, their master who's been, uh, who's been their boss, basically, all those other Yeah. Years? Well, you know, it can be both ways. And actually, our listeners have posed the questions as their dogs are at home um, and they're, you know, on the couch, retired, and they have another dog that's in the house that's now the working dog. Um, And then there are other families that have adopted working dogs where the person with a disability for financial reasons or just physical abilities wasn't able to keep two dogs. Right. And, you know, um, the separation anxiety issue is really essentially important. And the reason is that going back to the highly social nature of dogs in a broad sense, then you look at a working dog, such as a service dog, who's not only had a lot of human contact through the training period as a youngster, and then goes into a a relationship with a person who who relies heavily on, on the service that that dog provides, and then there's a change. And those changes, boy, they can be very hard for dogs to manage because they rely so heavily on a very personal level on that contact with people. And so if a dog is going to go into retirement, it really is essential for that dog's well-being in in his or her later years to live with somebody who can still interact a great deal with the dog. And if that new home can't, then at least the dog should be able to go to, say, playtime at a doggy daycare, like at a good kennel they have those things, where the dog can interact with other dogs so that the dog doesn't go through this terrible stress of separation anxiety. These dogs are miserable, and you know, we, we all have known dogs like this where uh, people leave them alone and they come home and find the house a disaster. And, it's, and, and some people believe that, well, the dog is spiting them for having left them alone. Now, these dogs, you know, when cameras have been left on a tripod to watch what these dogs do, these poor guys are just out of their mind. They are way overwhelmed with panic of being left alone. And because there have been so many years that they've got ingrained of all this interaction, where they really there, there isn't any simple way to transition them to being alone a great deal of time after those many years of, of being a companion. So, you know, they need to be interactive. And You know, barking is another thing that can be, as we were discussing before the break, can be a displacement behavior. Some people think, well, the dog's just bored. Sometimes it is attention-seeking behavior, but why would a dog start that behavior later in life where it hadn't before just to get attention? Well, because it's not getting the attention that it really, really needs. And, you know, people can use electric shock collars or citronella collars, but, you know, if we've got a dog who is barking excessively, for behavioral reasons, something other than simply nothing much else to do, but because they're struggling with being anxious and being alone, and then you add a punishment to the bark, then many of them will, will shift that behavior into something else abnormal, 
and this is not a good quality of life for the dog, being so full of angst so much of the time, not to mention the fact that, you know, neighbors complain and creates real trouble. And so, you know, back to the, the cause, I think a lot more social contact and and uh, opportunities to run around with other dogs, it really makes a difference, even when these, these pets are old-timers. Yeah, those are great points, you know, and, and I think, you know, another thing that happens with service dogs is sometimes they have experiences when they're working. I know my first dog, Ramona, we were traveling together in Washington, D.C., and we were going to the elevator to get on the metro, and a dog came out of nowhere, out of a florist, and attacked her. And wow. actually went for her throat. It was a, a really oh huge, God. scary dog. Yes, yes. And fortunately, my husband was with us, and he was able to help me get the dog off of her. But she started demonstrating some aggressive behavior to other dogs after that. And I was really concerned there for a little while that she might have to be retired because she was so nervous when she would come in contact with other dogs. What would you recommend? How should someone handle that? Well, that's, you know, a lot of the aggression that we see between pet dogs, for example, and unknown dogs that they encounter on leash walks or whatever, it's nearly all fear-based. And your dog's situation is a very classical example because your dog was doing fine with other dogs, just minding her own business, doing her work. And some other dog came out, perhaps for territorial reasons, uh, believed that that area was his and his alone, and so uh, tried to drive off your dog for having encroached on territory, possibly. And your dog really, that, that really made a big change in her attitudes, because what she had always thought was a safe situation suddenly wasn't safe anymore at all. And what dogs learn is that they can't verbally tell another dog to go away, they're restrained by the leash that the, uh, that the owner has the dog on, so they can't take off. And so they're kind of in a corner. And oftentimes they learn that if they mount a big, aggressive, defensive kind of a response, then the big, scary monster, the other dog, who might even be very friendly but is frightening the aggressive dog, then that aggressive response drives them off. And, of course, if it keeps working, it becomes a self-rewarding behavior because you know, why not keep doing it? It keeps on driving off the other dog. So if a person with a service dog runs into that problem, it's really very important to focus the dog's attention on the handler, on the owner, and what people can do. And in fact, I suspect a lot of your folks, uh, a lot of your listeners carry treats with them so that they can reward their dog for good work. If they don't, I, I would certainly encourage that. And so if the dog can be taught to focus on the owner, and earn the attention of the owner and earn a reward in response for that focus and for obeying a simple command, sit or down, or you know, a, or a simple trick that you might have enjoyed teaching your dog so that the dog can rely on the owner. Usually what we suggest people do, when the dog sees another dog, and of course if it's off-leash, you've got a different story, but many of these dogs, if you're watching them carefully and they see another dog, they'll immediately start showing early signs of fear, and you want to derail that early. So the simple thing to do first is you notice that in your dog is that you make an about face, whether it's a person's in a wheelchair or whatever their situation, turn the opposite way and create some distance from that other dog. But don't comfort your dog while you're doing that. Really important not to do that because, again, you know, we all want to think of our dogs, the ones that we love so much, as, as like little children in furry suits, like I said before. But the reality is that dogs see any response from a leader as a validation of their behavior or even of their emotional state. So if your dog is frightened 
And obviously, we don't want our dog to be frightened. And the last thing you want to do is pay any attention to the dog. Whether you tell that scared dog of yours, oh, don't worry, be, be strong, or you say, scold the dog, or even if you were to hit the dog with a board. I mean, I know nobody would do that, but my point is that any response from a leader is regarded by the dog as a reward. So when a dog is doing something inappropriate, including being scared, you don't acknowledge that dog, but what you do is turn the opposite direction, create some distance, and then tell the dog a simple command. The dog obeys, earns your attention and a reward, and then you say, good boy, good girl, whatever, so that the dog realizes that, you know, if I look to my leader for support and security and ignore that threat, then I'd be okay. And you've got to repeat that hundreds of times. But you want that dog to focus on its leader, which is where its focus belongs anyway. Right. And, you know, that was one of the hard things for me when I got my first dog was, like you said, I wanted to coddle her. Oh, baby, yeah. I'm so sorry. Right. But yeah. I but I shouldn't do that because one of the things with a service dog is I'm a wheelchair user and I have to be really careful not to run over my dog's paws. But we're so close together that sometimes it's inevitable it's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. so, oh, I had to be so careful because I wanted to say, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean yeah. it. But instead, I had to right. learn how to turn it into a positive and, and not do that. So thank you for mentioning that. That's a great, great point that service dog handlers really have to work on that can be hard. And I have found that treats do work well in trying to make them feel better and to get the focus onto something more more positive. And that's another thing that brings up for me that I wanted to ask about, and that is, what if you have a dog that is fearful of thunder or bad weather? How do you deal with those anxieties? Boy, those are harder to manage, Marcy, than, than the other things we've discussed, and they are quite manageable in most dogs. But each time the dog develops that phobia and experiences that terror, and I, we're talking about really terrified dogs in those situations, it becomes a more deeply ingrained behavior. And, you know, they can pick up atmospheric changes. They can sort of, they can just feel the clouds and the storm building. And those dogs need, number one, most of them, you could try behavior modification by itself, but it's a whole lot easier for the dog. And they'll get over it much faster in nearly all cases if we add in a gentle, mild anti-anxiety medication, not something that should diminish the dog's ability to work and to think and to learn by any stretch, but something to diminish the anxiety. And what we use is a system called desensitization and counterconditioning. It employs a CD that people can play in the CD player, a thunder noises, for example, and um, we play it on very low volume in another room as we require the dog to obey simple commands, sometimes brushing, sometimes playing, but so that the dog, again, focuses on the leader. And, of course, your service dog folks know that better than most other people, is that the dog, frankly, is a subordinate. They're working for you, and their job is to pay attention to the boss so that you can tell them what's needed. And, uh, and this is a very important way to carry that out during the desensitization process. The dog earns attention with the owner, earns food rewards by focusing on the owner and learning to ignore that low-volume sound. And as the dog starts to become more relaxed with that, then during some of the subsequent training sessions, we gradually increase the noise level. Sometimes we can add in a strobe light that people can get at a gift store, and there's a variety of other things we can add into the training on these things 
But, of course, it's something that should be done at a time of year when the storms are much less likely. And that way, when the storm season finally comes, the dog has learned that, you know, these things aren't a big deal, and I can focus on my leader. But, you know, I wish there was, it was simple. I just gave the broad outline of how we manage those things. But, yeah, they need to be taken very seriously because they can be debilitating for a dog. Yeah, it sure can. I know when I first got Whistle, he and I went on a plane trip together, and the plane was, it had a very rough landing, and it was really a negative experience for him, and we had to work really diligently and start out slowly, like you were saying, and get him reconditioned and to make it a positive experience because I travel a lot and so he was going to be on a plane a lot of the time and I'm happy to say that we did work on it and and we started just by going to the parking lot of the airports then going into the airport itself and we actually took a a short flight to Phoenix so that he could start you know getting some experiences and I'm happy to say now he's a seasoned traveler and he's great but it, it was a little touch and go there for a while. Well, that's right, and you did exactly the right thing. But, you know, we all want very quick and sure solutions to all of our life's problems. And the more frustrating the problem, the faster we want it fixed. And the reality of some of these things is that, boy, you better take it slow and get very specific, custom-tailored advice from a qualified trained veterinarian in behavior or a, a person with a degree in animal behavior like a master's or a PhD level person because these are the folks who are going to use researched behavior modification methods that are going to have a strong chance of helping. You use a lot of training methods for behavior disorders and uh, boy, we've got, a, we've got a real problem there. Sometimes they can make them worse. But you did the right thing for sure. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you, how would someone find a behavior specialist or someone that could help them with some of these behavioral issues? Well, you know, a lot of big cities have trained people like I just mentioned, but there's a website and it's called avsab.org. It's American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior, AVSAB, and they have a listing there of veterinarians who are trained in behavior management, but they're also certified and applied animal behaviorists. These are people that are not veterinarians. They are people with masters or PhDs in in animal behavior, and these are trained people. Uh, You have to be a little careful. There are lots of dog trainers, and many of them, of course, are very well-meaning people who want to help, but uh, without the formal training and the credentials, frankly, some of these folks can be sure of things that just aren't so, and they end up uh, coming up with stuff that, you know, they swapped ideas with other trainers, and, and if you're not careful, it can make the dog worse. And, and for a pet, that's one thing, but for a service dog, that's a very big problem if they get worse. So you got to be very careful. Yes, and tell us, how can our listeners get in touch with you, Dr. Nickel, if they want to talk to you more about some of these issues that we've talked about today? Well, you can go to my website, which is www.drjeffnickel.com. That's D-R-J-E-F-F, and then my last name, N-I-C-H-O-L. And um, on the homepage is an icon that says submit and then question mark, submit question. And people are welcome to, um, to contact me that way. Also, there's my phone number in there, and they're welcome to contact me that way as well. And um, as much as it's much more appropriate and ideal to do behavior consultations where I can examine the dog and oftentimes make a home visit to make sure we understand all the 
all the details of what's going on. If a dog owner has, an, has a regular veterinarian, then I can certainly do it by telephone and function in a consulting capacity. And that way, the, uh, if there's medication or whatever that needs to be uh, uh, prescribed or lab work that needs to be done or a physical exam, then the regular veterinarian can do that, and that doctor and I can communicate. So, yeah, these, these things can be done by telephone. Well, that is great. And thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing all of this valuable information about some of the behavioral issues that are specific to working dogs. And we would love for you to come back and continue this conversation because I can't believe we're out of time already. (laughs) It happens fast. But I'll tell you what, this is my favorite subject. And I'll tell you, nothing thrills me more than to see somebody come in with a problem and then you know, several weeks, in some cases, several months later, uh, they're doing so much better. And uh, that's, that's really the name of the tune. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And we hope you will join us again and continue this conversation. And we encourage you, our listeners, to check out Dr. Nichols' website and ask him a question if you have any specific issues with your working dog. And we want to thank you and our sponsors for allowing us to be with you today and talk about our favorite subject, working dogs. So on behalf of Whistle and myself, thanks so much. And we hope you'll come back and join us again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.